Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? All right. We are going to start this week off great. <laughs> going to give you a little pep talk, but before I do, I want to let you know what's going on for the rest of the show. We're going to be talking about some uh, LGBTQIA news. Got to keep everyone uh, getting their needs met and also... Later in the show, we're going to be talking about uh, essentially the uh, vast constellation of creativity that sexual orientation is. Uh, we'll say more about that, so stick around. But I wanted to start the show by giving everyone a little bit of a pep talk. I know that people are still worried about finances and employment, all sorts of different things going on. And so I wanted to just take a moment to remind everyone that uh, the stats say that about 60 to 70% of the wealthiest people inherited their wealth. You know, people want to believe that we live in a meritocracy, which means everyone works hard and they get they get what they deserve for working hard. And if you work hard enough, you'll get all your needs met. And it's not true. We live in a racist culture, right, where people, you know, don't necessarily call individuals in for interviews if their name doesn't sound white. We have tons of research on that. Not every trans individual has an identification which matches their gender presentation. Some people, again, just won't even hire trans individuals. There's all sorts of barriers, right? And I just want to remind everyone that your worth is more than what you produce or rooted in materialism and what you own, right? Again, that's why I bring up that stat that most people that are wealthy have inherited that wealth uh, or they were given a leg up because of their family's connections. It wasn't earned. And so it is a lie that we can have whatever we want. Most people can't. When we talk about body shape and size and how you know fat bodies don't get the same access um, and aren't hired as easily as smaller bodied people, like we have tons of research to show what happens in the hiring process, the employment process, all sorts of things that don't make it equal, right? Um, but I just want to remind everyone that, um, you know, we, we, there are these books like, you know, the 10 secret steps to success, which implies that we all have the same opportunities and we don't. Not everyone is from a neighborhood where they have a good educational system. Uh, I remember back in Philly where I'm from, we didn't have a good educational system. Not everyone has access to food. So some people are too worried about hunger or their family's addiction issues or housing insecurity. It, it's just, isn't the same. Right. And so I want to just tell everyone, be loving with yourself. It's okay if right now you are not where you want to be. Your worth is more than, again, your income. You're, you mean more than what you produce. Not, uh, we, we, we have inherent worth just by being people. To those that are unemployed, underemployed, right? Those that aren't able to participate in the machine, right? We tend to see our job as our life's purpose. We're not our jobs. And not everyone's job is going to be everything they want or what they want to do in the world. Sometimes we find that outside of our job, right? 
Um, but I want people to just remember that you inherently have worth. Uh, we're watching some people thrive right now. We're watching other people finally get some stability under their footing and others continue to struggle and you don't need to feel bad about your struggle. The struggle itself is hard enough. You don't need now on top of that feel bad because of your age or your gender or whatever it is that there's an expectation as to where you should be. We need to kind of let ourselves be where we are and that's the way we can be a good parent, a good friend, a good partner. Um, let people be where they are. Don't make them feel bad about where they are. Not everyone's journey starts off in the right place. Some people later in life connect with their purpose and their meaning and their value, right? And it still has it still has meaning to you even if it occurs later in life, right? So don't panic about where you are. Give yourself a little bit of a break. Ask yourself, what gives me purpose and meaning? Is there any way to be more aligned with that? But I just wanna roll back that we're gonna be reentering the world soon and we're not all gonna be where we were before. Things have changed, people have changed. Um, a lot of the jobs might not be there anymore. People might be stepping into something else. So we just have to be open to that. It's gonna be a little bumpy. It is right now. Um, keep taking care of yourselves. And that's the, that's the thing, like we're in a liminal space. We're between realities. We're stepping into a new one soon. Let the in-between is not always supposed to be comfortable, but it's not meant to be long-term. And what we can do most, what we can best do at this time right now is go into ourselves and not focus on getting that gym body and, 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 and taking online classes or whatever you feel compelled to do to make you feel like you have worth and value right now. This time is about healing, about resting, about going inside, asking ourselves deep, important questions, sitting in the silence sitting in some of the isolation, learning more about ourselves. We don't need to fill it with more busyness. That's what happens. This time right now can be used as a gift, but people think they need to fill it with productivity and busyness. Busy, 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 busy. Oh my God, that's all waiting for you. We're coming back to that, don't worry. But right now, use this liminal space, this liminal time between realities, this transitional space, like you're in a hallway going from one place to another place. But let that, let that time in that hallway, see all hallways this way, as a time to just sit with yourself, to sit in silence, ask deep questions, right? Decide what kind of world you want to emerge into. Um, we'll be talking more about that, but like right now we should be just healing culturally. That's what I was hoping would come out of this. Um, us emerging transformed, realizing our more, you know, our deeper collective connection, connection to the environment, and the planet, but uh, not so much, not so much. I'm going to keep reminding you all that stuff. All right, coming up though, we're going to be talking about some wins and uh, some unfortunate losses within the uh, trans rights movement. And uh, later in the show, like I said, we're going to be talking about authentic sexuality, reconnecting to uh, our true selves, which is not really what the world sets us up to do. Kind of quite the opposite. The world's all about conformity, not about authenticity and liberation, which is truly where uh, mental health lives and what the goal of mental health is. So uh, stick around, be doing that. Of course, uh, slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, how's everyone's handwriting? <laughs> it's such a strange question. I, I wrote a bunch of notes that I'm literally unable to even read my own handwriting for uh, the next segment. It... Sorry, I, I don't, I don't write often. Like, have you thought about that? I was literally sitting here going, when's the last time I had to actually use a pen? Everything I do is voice activated or is typing. And so my, 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 my handwriting, my penmanship, as they say, was never good. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in fifth grade, I uh, went to private school and they really prided themselves on excellence and achievement as they do. And I remember in fifth grade, they're like, look, every, we're gonna make sure every student gets a penmanship award. 
And I don't remember what was required, but you had to be uh, good at, at writing, right? Like cursive. So it's about cl uh, clarity of the letters and proper letter formation. I, who knows? Do you know I was the only person, the only person in my entire class who was unable to get the penmanship award? Just couldn't do it. My brain and my hand moves, moves too quick. Anyway, longtime listeners know that. But uh, that's been an asset for me. You know, when I was a child, they definitely wanted to medicate that away, uh, framing it as, you know, ADHD and things like that. My parents were like, nah, you know what? We're actually going to help him work with it. We're going to let him see the beauty and the strength in it. And I'm glad they did. And that's why I don't personally use diagnostic, diagnostic terms often, but uh, especially uh, applied to myself in those ways because... My parents took more of what we now call a neurodiversity approach, which is there's different kind of ways of being in the world and um, became an asset. You know, it's, it's one of the better parts of myself is the speed with which I process and um, can articulate. And it doesn't always serve me when I'm trying to write notes that later I literally do not know what I'm talking about. I mean, y'all should see this. There's a few key words I can make out, but like I was really excited about sharing some topic with y'all, which by the way, just so y'all know, like I put a lot of thought into the topics we talk about. I really do. I'm constantly making notes throughout the day of things that come up in my clinical practice or some of the best work comes from what I hear in uh, conversations, uh, read in books or even see on television that I think is so wrong and problematic. I don't even always frame it that way, but then I'll come on having corrected something. You know, maybe I'll have to actually give the inverse sometimes so you can see, see where it all uh, came from. But I wanted to use this as a... Um, a segment on LGBTQIA news. A lot of people never cover things like that. It's important for Loveline. Every news station should no longer assume everyone's, you know, cis hetero, white cis hetero, white cis hetero, able bodied. Um, so I'm always trying to bring it in. And I thought that there's a couple interesting things that are going on. Also, some things that are really heartbreaking. Uh, let's start with some of the positives. Amazon, who we're not necessarily on good terms with, we're in a little bit of a fight because, you know, there are issues around unionizing and paying people a living wages. Eh, questionable. Jeff Bezos, eh, you know. But, Nonetheless, what they did was they pulled books that frame LGBTQIA identities as mental illnesses. Good, because they're not. And there's no science to prove or indicate that it is. And so I'm thankful that they're pulling them. They don't want their platform to be utilized to spread homophobia and hate. And again, someone asked me on Twitter what my thoughts are about cancel culture. And that's my exact thoughts, that um, it's accountability. It's uh, consequences that you have the freedom to say what you want, but that doesn't mean people have to support it, carry it, or help you elevate your, 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 your ideas. And Amazon's like, you're on your own, y'all, if you want to spread hate. And that's what being an ally and an activist is about. Um, we shouldn't be debating the worth and rights of any human being, especially not based on their gender presentation, body shape or size, or sexual orientation, or race and ability. Um, and so they're getting rid of that. So I think that that's a good thing. Again, consequences, you know, accountability. And Amazon's like, we're not doing it. And that's what we're seeing networks removing people. I do think that people that are in positions of power that uh, are bigoted or prejudicial or enact violence on anyone and, you know, by exploiting them and marginalizing them, I think they should be taken out of power. That's important. So I do like the removal of some people from positions of power. That's not cancel culture. Again, that's accountability. Don't be a problem. There won't be any consequences. But Circling back to the topic, if someone does do full accountability and apology and they are working to be better, you are back in the fold. Welcome back. Because I don't believe in punishing, right? I believe in removing from power, right? And educating and transformation. I'm a therapist. We all have to be open to that. We can't just vote everyone off the island or vote them off the planet when we don't like them. We'd all be, we'd all be gone, right? It's about being better and apologizing. And when someone does and we believe them, we welcome them back, right? We're not trying to cancel people. And so that element, I don't agree with the word cancel, but... 
Um, okay, so there's that. That's a good thing. Uh, later in the show, though, I will talk about this. There's uh, countries that are ranked by their safety for LGBTQIA uh, travel. It's important to talk about. We'll come back to that. But um, the the heartbreaking part is all this, uh, excuse me, this legislation that's going on. A lot of anti-trans. We're having like a powerful wave. And I'm not going to break down all of it because um, there's a lot of depth and meat to it. It's basically just different cities. Talked about this last week on the show. Um, some bills <clears throat> still being pushed through around uh, sports, women's sports. So I'll, I'll keep you guys updated on that. It, it's in motion. We talked about it a little bit, but I wanted to bring it back up because there's a new hashtag going around, and this is really upsetting. It's basically hashtag super straight, and it's an anti-trans commentary. So is this idea of people that are gender critical. And I wanted to unpack those two pieces so that we can, as a community of individuals, come together and, and, and start to dismantle this. That's what we need to do. So the super straight is basically saying, I am so straight that I am super straight and I would never be with someone trans, which is really transphobic and offensive. There's also some homophobia in there. And then also this whole idea of people saying, mm, I'm not anti-trans, I'm just gender critical. I'm critical of, the, of, of, of gender theory. And it's like, that's actually, again, transphobic because you are actually being critical of someone telling you their experience and who they are. We, we don't really, in terms of human rights and mental health, get to tell someone, I'm sorry, sweetie, um, honey bear, I know better than you. Pookie, I, I'm going to patronizingly for my position of often nowhere, because a lot of the people that are using these terms are not, um, I don't know, they're they are not geneticists, they're not uh, therapists, they're not gender specialists, random people that are like, I'm just critical of gender and the way it's going, which is they're really trying to push back on this idea that there's a multitude of ways to live, embody, and express your gender. And good luck, y'all, because not only are we calling it what it is, transphobia, but um, there's only more to come. People are being very gender fluid and creative. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, stunning thing to see people living their true and full selves. You know what I mean? All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about toxic masculinity. Yes, because it also harms men. People that are men, male identified, butch. We're going to talk about it. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about ways to um, really do more equality, right? People are different. People do have different needs. That's not what equality is about or even challenges. Equality is about giving everyone the same access, the same opportunities, while recognizing that people are different and they have different needs. Yes, if you're someone who's from a marginalized or exploited community, your needs are different. Um, if you are someone who has different abilities, your needs are gonna be different. People are different. But we wanna give people equality, which means the same rights, the same access, the same the same entry points. Um, and toxic masculinity is something that we talk a lot about in terms of how it harms women. But I wanna just spend some time talking about how it also harms men. And we wanna dismantle that because it also reinforces a lot of problematic gender norms and expectations, right? Where truth is authenticity. Truth is living in, in, in who you are. and. And no one really fully embodies or should be expected to maleness or femaleness. Everyone has traits of the other, which is why I don't even use those terms. We'll call things feminine or feminine feminine energy. It's like, well, masculinity shows up in those ways too. A lot of women, two women can have a lot different and a man and a woman can have more similar sometimes than two men or two women, right? And so what these gender expectations do is they trap us. And so toxic, toxic masculinity can not, not only does it look like men not being able to express emotion, men not being able to be in more passive positions in terms of relationships or culture. It also looks like no changing stations in a men's bathroom, 
Yes, that's a form of toxic masculinity. The idea that men don't take care of children, that men are never the primary caregiver, that men would never be needing to change a baby's diaper, that that would be something a woman would do or that there's always going to be a woman involved. Well, for gay couples, gay male couples, yes, you're going to need a changing room for their child in, in a male bathroom. For single fathers or, or single men that are primary caregivers, yes, they're going to need access to change a baby's diaper. Not every baby has a woman in its life. Not every baby has a mother. So toxic masculinity is the idea that men never have uh, needs for childcare like that. They do. Um, also not, we don't talk enough about care for males that are victims of domestic abuse. Yes, men can be victimized by their gay male partner. Men can also be physically and emotionally victimized by their female partner. We don't talk about that. Male sexual abuse or male domestic abuse. And yes, it happens. But the reason why it's not reported, and we don't have a lot of resources around it, is because men are expected to handle things. It's assumed that that can happen. Uh, they're expected to just ignore it. A lot of people glorify it. Ah, you're lucky. You're lucky that you had sex brought into your life at that young age when you weren't ready for it. You know what I mean? We make a lot of excuses and a lot of assumptions and we just don't really believe that men can be victimized. Gay men and straight men can be victims of domestic abuse and sexual assault. Yes, men can be raped. A hundred percent. They can be drugged and raped. They can be forcibly raped. They can be coerced into sex. Yes, they can as well. And it's toxic masculinity that claims otherwise. Uh, male suicide rates, four times higher than that of females, four times higher. And that is, again, because of toxic masculinity, because the way we have men move through the world, they're not allowed to have needs. They are supposed to work themselves to death. They are the only gender that's forcibly recruited into the army. All sorts of things that lead to men having higher rates of suicide. We need to look at what that is. It's maleness. If it's men, male-identified people that are having that high of a rate, we have to blame maleness. That's what it's born out of. Also, men being mocked for showing emotions. We talk a lot about that. Toxic masculinity is the idea that men can't be affectionate with each other. Men can't have closeness. Um, they can't have emotions. Also, bring this up all the time, that men are going to be the uh, hypersexual one or more dominant. Some hetero men and gay men, but this is more powerful in the hetero male world. Some men are bottoms. They are not sexually assertive. They are not hypersexual. They are not dominant. They are passive and they are receptive. They are maybe more, more soft and we have to normalize that. But people will come into my office all the time saying, I need my man to be a man. No, you're saying I want my man to be a toxic gender role. You know what I mean? I, I want my man to be other than he is. And part of being in a healthy relationship is allowing your partner and your friends and your loved ones to be who they are, not who we need them to be. So the work is on the person complaining, right? Why do you need your partner to be a certain way? Um, and again, finally, just the affection piece that um, men are often uh, kept out of that. We see that even with parents raising their children where the minute the gender is uh, chosen for them, right? We, you know, we don't ever actually know till the individual's of age and chooses their own gender expression and gender. But based on the anatomy we see, we make a gender choice and assign a gender to them at birth. And from that moment, they're treated differently. The toys that they're given access to, the way they're handled, where female babies are given more softness and, and more affection, male babies, it's the opposite. They're more told to toughen up, pull together, they'll be fine. And that starts to socialize them to think that that's something that they can't be or they can't do. Um, I shared with you guys a really hurtful study that was done in uh, grade schools where they put a bunch of emotions on the board and they said, which ones are for men, which ones are for women? Women were pretty much allowed to have all of them. Men were only allowed to have the, the more hard, harsh emotions of anger and frustration. The kids agreed that men can't be uh, scared or anxious, anxious or 
anything that was more of the soft positive. It's a, it was a whole set of emotions that were denied them. Uh, so much work to do. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to be doing some DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it on our Loveland IG page right in the DMs. Uh, always open, always here for you. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can always do so by going to wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, hope you're doing well. I have a question where I would like to get some perspectives on my relationships altogether. I've noticed that friends and loved ones will very often come to me when stuff hits the fan for emotional support, but confide in me and often refer to me as a safe space, sharing things they wouldn't share or haven't shared with anybody else. The twist is I will often be there for them for an instant period of time. But when the rough patch starts to fade out, they will text me here and there, but nothing more. Now, I myself went through a very rough patch and trauma in my life and being bi, neurodiverse, poly, childhood trauma survivor gives me an outside the book way of processing things. Would you say that sounds like trauma bonding to you? P.S. I wanted to thank you for the work you do. Love, 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 loved reading both your books. Also loved having you through this podcast during this pandemic with endless love and unconditional compassion. Oh, that was very sweet. I actually needed that. you, You guys never know how, how getting uh support or um you know just someone saying like you know um uh, value your work how meaningful that can be uh people people that are bothered or upset tend to have uh, more of an interest in reaching out than those that feel positively influenced so uh so much in there uh first off i just want to applaud you for just embodying yourself fully um bisexuality it can be very difficult in our culture very biphobic homophobic in our culture uh neurodiversity is such a beautiful thing Still really working on normalizing and moving away from that deficit model culturally. So beautiful that you're, you know, able to identify such. It sounds very empowering. Uh, Poly, also, you know, just a relational structure that, again, continues to lack support. And again, just getting through uh, childhood trauma, you know, you're, you're, you're doing your thing. It sounds like you're thriving. So keep up the good work. Um, and I'm glad to be a part of your journey. So, you know, a few things in here. Um, I'll kind of start broad. Sometimes we have people in our lives and not not whether right or wrong or not you know leaving out how it feels necessarily uh sometimes we feel as though certain people can provide certain things in our lives and what that will mean is uh not everyone can provide everything and we don't necessarily have a level of compatibility with everyone on every level so there might be some people in our lives where if we just really had a hard day and we need to have some lighthearted topics uh, discussed and we want to laugh, we reach out to this one friend, right? Because we don't really feel like we can go to that friend with maybe heavier, deeper, more intimate material. So we go to them to laugh and act stupid. But then there might be a time that's really harder or darker. And we go to someone that's a little better able to hold space for us, kind of someone like yourself. Um, I forget how you're afraid it. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't share with anyone else and you're there. And and you're that friend that they trust, right? They trust your boundaries. They trust that you can hold a safe, uh, strong container for them to kind of process their material. And then we have maybe other friends that they're friends we call to go out and party or whatever it is. So there's there's something fortunate and unfortunate about that. You know, fortunate that people have all their needs met and access to what they need and unfortunate because sometimes we get trapped or forced under one of those labels or into one of those boxes without our friend or friends realizing or the other partners in our relationships realizing that there's more to us than that one side. And sometimes people will really reinforce that by only coming to us 
in that one way. And so it's kind of a call to action for everyone listening. Try to remember that your friends have more to them than this one part of this one piece, that your party friend might still, if given the chance, be able to be there for you in other ways, uh, possibly, and vice versa. That the friend that maybe feels more vulnerably, intimately, emotionally available might also benefit from laughing at some point or going out and partying with you or whatever it is. So remember to try to let your friends be a total being, but also try to remember if you're going, you know, think about, am I going to the same person all the time with my emotional material? Cause maybe I'm burning them out or exhausting them. And that's why I think we should learn how to have multiple people in our lives and also not burn people out and say to them, like, are you in a space where you can really hear this? But to speak to you directly, I, 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 I empathize with what it's like to be on the receiving end of feeling as though you're really needed and you're really important in their life when things are rough, but when they're not, you kind of feel as though you're not valid to them. So I would say, number one, advocate for yourself. Lovingly let them know, hey, um, it means a lot to me that you can reach out to me when you're struggling. I'd love to also sometimes go out in the world and go see a movie or go get some food. Maybe you have to kind of remind them that there's more to you than this one piece. So lovingly remind them. And also I'd say reach out to them and, and maybe stay connected, right? If you haven't heard from them in a few days, reach out and connect with them, but let them know what it feels like. I've had to do that in my own life. People, as you might imagine, come to me when they're struggling and I'll have to reach out the day after they're no longer struggling saying, how's your day going? You know, what movies are you watching? And I have to force myself in, right? And I've even had to share with some of them. Sometimes it feels as though um, you only come to me when you're struggling. I'd love for you to also come to me when things are great or when you have a funny story to tell, you know? So it's kind of like both-sided. I'm, I'm trying to tell the world to acknowledge this and do this differently, and you should also advocate for yourself because we have to remind people sometimes, you know, but it's worth it. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about sexual fluidity. So stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, getting into hour two. Get a little, uh, a little spicier, a little punchier. Gonna talk about sexual fluidity. Um, this was born out of an article I looked at over the weekend. I thought this was great. It was 14 famous queer ladies who got gayer a little later in life, AKA uh, women who came out later in life as gay or lesbian. And I think that's phenomenal. You know, the, the, the reminder in that that's really beautiful is it's never too late to step into who you are sexually. I've, I've discussed with y'all that we too often make our sexual orientation tied to just gender choice. And for some people coming out or embodying more of their authentic sexuality, it might not be about gender choice, although for these individuals it was. For some, it might be asking for a different kind of sex, to be more dominant or to be more passive, uh, to be kinkier, maybe to fold in new things or even maybe to open up and try being with others. Um, but the point being is I never want people to just say it's too late or I'm, I'm far beyond that. There's, It's no such thing. Everyone, it, it brings such joy into our lives. And for some, it's a mental health issue to really fully embody your gender, sexual, um, um, true self, right? And so I love when we're reminded that not only that it's never too late, but also that your sexuality might be bigger and more creative than you realize if you're just open and, and you really push back on homophobia, right? And all the things that might withhold you from exploring. I want everyone to be able to explore. Wouldn't it be great if we could try different forms of sexuality knowing that it wasn't going to stigmatize us forever? We definitely offer that a little more so to women, where if women try being with someone of the same gender, another woman, and then they come back as straight, we accept it. But men, not so much. Once a man's with a man, we're like, nah, you're gay forever. 
You know what I mean? Somehow engaging another man is just so stigmatizing because we believe in uh, bisexuality or sexual fluidity for women, but we just don't tend to believe it for men, which is such a uh, toxic masculinity and homophobic based thing that, uh, yeah, gender fluidity also exists for men, but we just don't seem to want to allow that. I shared with you guys, I think this was a couple of years ago I shared this with you, so longtime listeners know this story. I spent a month where anytime I encountered uh, what I thought was a really healthy, sexually solid female, I asked her if she would date a bisexual or sexually fluid man. Do you know, every single one of them told me no. Even if in the beginning they purported that they were open to it, I could see that they were a little unsure and we talked it through and they all landed with no, that as evolved as they want to be, they would really actually just think that he's secretly gay. And that hurt my heart that we still, and these are some really evolved intellectual females that they still didn't believe that. What do you think of the wider world that hasn't done some of that work? Um, and a lot of men don't believe it themselves and it keeps people from trying things out and exploring, you know, what would that mean? Uh, even for people that are male or male identified male, male presenting that want to try on some clothing that's not associated with maleness. Right. So love that these women came out later in life. Um, not necessarily to really go through the names of them because I don't think that's as meaningful as much as again, just looking at the fact that later in our lives is when some people maybe feel, uh, able to come out. Maybe they're more financially secure. Maybe their career is more secure. Uh, because unfortunately, again, that will change how you're seen. Some actors that have come out as gay have said that they're no longer cast in male leading roles and that that's one of the, thing that, uh, one of the things that keeps them from coming out is watching their counterparts come out and how it tanked their career, you know? Because we just don't believe in the ability. And also we always talk about how bisexuality is just because you see someone with same sex or opposite sex, that doesn't tell their total sexuality. They might also be open to other forms of gender that they're not currently with. And so just seeing someone with an opposite sex person doesn't mean they're not bi or pan or sexually fluid. That's just who they're with right now in front of you. And bisexuality itself isn't even 50-50, right? It might be 90-10, 90% women, 10% men in certain scenarios, right? And we also separate out uh, sexual orientation from romantic orientation. Some people are more sexually open. They'll have sex with all genders, all gender expressions, but romantically more driven towards one. And so that can separate out. Some people are like, well, you know, I'm, I, I'm open to all different, you know, sexual experiences, but my God, I can't imagine dating. It's like, right. Those are two separate processes. For many people, they're aligned where the genders that they're interested in being sexual with or romantically, you know, interested in flips into both boxes. But for some people, it's very distinct, right? Romantically more targeted, sexually more open, you know, that exists. Just like we have people that are demisexual where their erotic interests is uh, something that emerges after they've gotten to know people on other levels. We have the inverse, fraysexual, which is hypersexual on the front end, but as they get deeper into a relationship or get to know someone, sexuality drops off. And those people often then read to some as like asexual. You know, oh my God, early on there's a lot of sex, now it's tapered off. Well, your partner might be fraysexual, or maybe you are. And that you're one of those people who prefers new, novel, and spontaneous sexuality. Those are the people that need to be in non-monogamous relationships because the inherently when they build themselves into a romantic relationship, their sex drive drops. Um, and then they, you know, wonder, am I asexual? It's like, no, you're fraysexual. You need more spontaneous initi uh, initial novel sexuality. And then there are some asexuals and some asexuals even are open to still having partnered sex for their partner, for the release. Um, 
And of course we have solo sexuals, which are people that's all about more geared towards sex with themselves, more masturbation driven. And we just assume that sex is always about another person. That's not true. It's okay to be more sexually driven towards, towards self, sex with self. And then they should also be in a relationship with someone who maybe isn't into a lot of partnered sex or maybe something more open because their partner might be wanting partnered sex. And that might be hard on a solo sexual, just like it would be hard long-term on a fray sexual, someone whose sexuality decreases the longer they're with someone. And we, we have these terms to help better understand who we're with and what they need. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this, the wide world of sexuality. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. I love this topic of talking about all the creative diverse ways that we can be uh, sexually oriented. It's such a constellation because a lot of people pathologize themselves if they don't fit into the norm. They assume if I don't like the uh, opposite gender and if I'm not interested in a committed monogamous long-term relationship with them, which includes ongoing sex with them, anything outside of that must mean something's wrong with me. And it's like, no. Where did you get that idea? Oh, that's right. Because we live in a heterocentric culture, which even fouls up heteros sexuality. And in fact, very few people fall into that wide category of all those terms. Most people are something more diverse from that. And that's why we should take our time dating someone and exploring romance and affection and sex to really figure out who we are and we're with them. Because some of our sexuality could be co-created based on the person we're with in response to them. But again, for some people, the more they get into a relationship, the more they get to know them, sex trails off. Others, it starts to build and change. There's so much diversity. But just remember, whatever you're naturally oriented towards, it's okay. It's okay to be wherever you are, even if it's new, novel, or distinct, or something that's not familiar to you, you know? And for some people, their sexuality includes gender exploration, where although in their normal life, they might identify as cis and look cis, right? The gender they were assigned to birth, they're like, sounds good, high five, let's have at it. But within sex, they might be eroticized or turned on by objectifying self or by beginning some gender play or gender exploration or creativity sexually. That might be arousing to them. And we used to have some really pejorative terms uh, like cross-dresser and things like that. Um, and there's nothing disordered about someone liking to embody a different gender than their own in order to be sexual. That's just part of how things are. It, it is what it is. Whether someone feels comfortable with that or likes it or not, doesn't matter. It is what it is. And people are who they are. And there's nothing wrong with these ways of being. There's no right way to be sexual. As long as it involves informed consent and no one's harmed, not self or other, all's well. You know, and the more sex we have and the more we date, the more we get to learn about ourselves and the more exploration. But we have to do it with a safe partner. A lot of individuals are with a partner where it's not safe to talk about these things or safe to explore these things because they're shamed. I have that those people brought into my office all the time where the uncomfortable, anxious partner thinks the issue is the other partner. And I have to say to them, no, the issue is you. Your partner's fine the way they are. They have a very diverse creative sexuality you are uncomfortable with it. The work is, is you not shaming them and you understanding the diverse ways people can exist in the world. The work is with you. You're the patient. You know, you're the person who's got the issue. You have to learn to accept, to allow, you know, or, or, or depart because you realize you aren't compatible, you know? But again, it's hard for people to tap into their true sexual self. It's buried under gender roles. As a man, I feel like I need to be or do this. As a woman, I feel like I need to be or do this. Then 
respectability politics. Well, I'm a mother or I'm a doctor, a lawyer, or I'm a politician. So I feel like my sex then also has to be blah, blah, blah. All these are ways that we deny who we really are. Then you got to bring in their slut shaming where you're afraid of people slut shaming you or not taking you seriously as a partner because of it or calling you a sex addict, that other really problematic made up term because you're having sex that they're not comfortable with. We're buried under all these different things. Then our body esteem is in there. How, how, how good do we feel about our body, the body that we're in when we're being sexual or giving and presenting to another when we're being sexual? That's called into question. So much in there. It's so hard for us to just live our lives fully embodying our true sexuality. But that's why we have to take the responsibility when we're sexual with someone or get into a relationship with someone where we make sure that we're going to be a positive impact and positive influence. It's like parenting. You don't know what kind of child you're going to have. Your child might be gay. Your child might be trans. Who knows? You have to be open to that and willing to go down that journey with them. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. Your partner's job isn't to be the person you need them or want them to be. Same thing like your child. Child's job is to be themselves. Same thing with your partner. And, and often it takes time. People encounter other forms of sexuality or gender and identify then down the road, right? Or, or as they get more comfortable in themselves while still with you, they want to explore. So the person you meet in the beginning might not be the person they are or end up being down the road. We have to be open for that. Change comes. You can never play the game. That's not who you were when I met you. No one can promise to stay the same. They can't. People evolve and change the more they become themselves. And you should want to be around and part of that, supportive of that but it scares people, you know, that's where, and it's actually honestly a form of sexual abuse on the scale of large to small. It might be on the smaller end, but it's sexually abusive to shame or pathologize someone and tell them that who they are in terms of their sexuality, that it's bad or wrong. We are how we are. And the work is about acceptance of that and confidence around that moving through the world, feeling fully integrated. And it's, again, sexually abusive for a therapist or a partner to say, mm, all sex needs to be partnered. All sex needs to be just between two monogamous people in love. All sex needs to dot. No, <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. And this goes way back, even Freud, poly, uh, what was he, uh, polymorphous sexuality. I can't remember the term he used, but it was this idea that we all come into the world with the ability to really be a little bit larger and more creative in our sexuality, but socialization moves us away from it. And that's true. We don't have sexual developmental milestones. In fact, we use the word virgin, which is this idea that you're a different person, usually with a negative connotation the minute you have sex, versus calling it your sexual debut or sexual celebration. Ah, you're finally in the sexual world and really using it as a time to explore and figure out who you are, you know? But we shame it as something to delay as long as possible because you step into some negative form of selfhood or something. It's like, are you kidding? Uh, it should be avoided and delayed as long as possible as though it's bad. No, it's fully embodying humanity, fully embodying and becoming who you are, <laughs> right? We need to prepare people, talk about it as much as possible, honor it, have excitement around it, celebrate it, right? Like that's the work. Not shaming and delaying, but in our culture, we're not like that. Other cultures, a little more permissive. And then people have less issues because they know how to speak up, set boundaries, communicate, ask for their needs to be met. Education isn't promoting, even though there's nothing wrong with promoting the healthy use of sexuality, but education is about arming ourselves to take care of ourselves, you know? But that throws people off. Some people think it's quite the opposite, you know what I mean? But we have to be able to talk about these things and let people know that we're the kind of people that they can talk to us about these things. We'll take a little break, a break. Um, but if you got a DM for us, drop in our Loveland IG page in the DMs. Uh, we're going to do a little more chit-chat, but when uh, we close out the show, we're going to be doing so with some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com.
All right, we're back. And um, I know this is a, a little bit late late in the game, but I I really wanted to sit and kind of gather my thoughts. Sometimes these um, hot topics hit and everyone's scrambling to give their opinion. And I like to sit back and be a little more thoughtful and think things out. And I wanted to just kind of weigh in on my thoughts on the Sharon Osbourne video. And I want to go back to the original video um, when she initially was on her show defending Piers Morgan. And I want to just kind of make this a little bit of a quick learning moment. So the reason why it's problematic is because we're, we're at a current time in culture where everyone has access to whatever resources they need. So if you're someone who doesn't understand um, any kind of uh, identity, there are so many books that are currently available for someone to understand how to be anti-racist, um, anti-homophobic, to understand trans rights and needs. There's a lot of work out there. And you know anyone from a majority identity, which would mainly be someone who's white, cis, hetero, especially white, cis, hetero, able-bodied, um, it's not the job of the exploited, marginalized, identity person to have to advocate for them to be treated like a total human. That's actually continued oppression and dehumanization. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not gonna see you as a human and you're gonna have to sit here and explain to me why I should. That's, that's trash. Um, so if you don't believe in disability rights or fat rights or gay rights or ending <laughs> violence against people of color, go read some of the amazing books that are out there and learn. But it's not that person's job to educate you, period, end of story. And that's part of the problem, is I saw Sharon shouting, educate me, educate, educate me. That's, that's, that's a demand from a place of privilege. Um, go Google, go Google. Go to your local indie bookstore and buy some books and you do the work. Because white people, we've created and we sustain and benefit from white supremacy. So it's on us to end it because we're the ones that create it and sustain it. Straight people, anyone who identifies as heterosexual, y'all are the people that create and sustain homophobia. Cis people, it is on cis people to understand. And I know if someone's at the top of the privilege, they're like, well, it's a lot of learning. It's like, you're right, because you benefit from a lot of different systems and institutions that leave out and exploit others. And it's not their job to ask to be treated like a human. It's, it's the majority's job to change those institutions and systems and to understand how they impact people. So the problem was, A, her demanding education, which is just not fair because it's emotional labor that's exhausting, right? And she has access to educating herself. She also doesn't need to defend someone who's ongoing, documented themselves to be racist, homophobic, very transphobic, why would that be the hill you want to die on? Of all the people in this scenario to defend, why would you defend the perpetrator? Why would you want to step up and defend the person who oppresses and is violent? That's so bizarre. It's such an odd entry point a person to defend. So that was also part of the issue, right? But also centering herself and how things impact her as though of all the issues on the table, that should be the primary thing, making Miss Sharon Osborne feel better. That should be what we're, we're going to. And she's asking a black person to make her feel better. Yet again, centering her white tears, which is what she was doing for peers. And so it's like, wow, you really just can't not make everything about you and defending people that are just like you. There was never an attempt to have empathy or to educate herself, or to understand that the real issue is the continued oppression of people of color and the racism. That's what she should have been zeroing in on. That's what she should have been saying isn't okay. Not defending someone else who's at the top of the privilege pile, you know? 
And all that rolls up into, again, centering white tears, upholding white supremacy, her narcissistic rage and demanding that the exact people that she oppresses educate her as though her racism is somehow not her fault. It's the responsibility of someone else that should then also take that responsibility and educate her, educate it out of her. No, your transphobia is your fault. It's your responsibility. Your homophobia is your fault. It's your responsibility. You, you now can be better and learn better and do better and know better. Resources abound. They're everywhere. Conversations always going. So it's like white people, get, get fellow white people together and talk it out. Straight people, get straight people together and talk it out. How, how do we end these systems, right? It was really hard to watch, really exhausting. I hadn't watched it forever. I delayed watching it because I just thought, I already know what this is going to be. And it was worse than I thought, you know? And understandably, everyone's exhausted, you know? It just was such an odd thing to really step into. And I applaud her co-host for just being like, oof, God bless it. That's got to be exhausting. And then to hear everything that came out afterwards around how much more problem problematic she had been over the years. Heartbreaking. But we will continue to talk about all these things because this all is a mental health issue. A hundred percent. Our mental health is centered in the way we are treated in the world based on our social locations and our identities being intersectional. A hundred percent. The class we're a part of, our body shape and size, our gender, our sexual orientation, all of those things impact our mental health based on the world we live in. So we have to dismantle them. And that's why I get frustrated with therapists that stay out of the political stuff. Everything's political. Therapy is political. Your, therape- your therapeutic orientation is political. Some, someday I'll break down what I mean by saying that, but like, it's all politics. We have to get involved. We all have to be allies. Anywho, having said that, coming up next, we're going to be doing some DMs, so stick around for that. If you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. We'll be answering all your questions. Uh, stick around, though. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All the DMs come from our Loveline IG page. So if you got a question for us, just drop it right in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Whatever your question is, it's not too big, it's not too small. Always open. We'd love to hear from you. Tonight's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Quinn, and I've been with my boyfriend for about four years. We've moved all over the place together, Florida to New York, excuse me, Chicago, even Vegas. Now we just decided to move from LA to Dallas. And although it's been a fun adventure, I'm ready to settle down. I I imagine so. I'm sitting here at the weight of that. You've moved from Florida to New York, then to Chicago, then Vegas, and now, then LA, and now Dallas. That's a lot. That's a lot of packing. That's a lot of moving. That's a lot of moving expenses. That's a lot of finding a new job, making new friends, change of address, new furniture maybe. Oof. Yeah, good on y'all though. Good on y'all, seriously, you're living your lives. Uh, it's been a fun adventure, but you're ready to settle down, yes. He, do- <laughs> he doesn't understand that I love traveling and moving. But at the end of the day, we wanna have kids, and I don't think it's fair to keep moving with kids, especially when they're older. Just not really sure how to communicate this with him because I feel like I have to. Um, wow, so you love traveling and moving. I, it's interesting that you said moving. I, I get the traveling part, but when you say moving, do you mean relocating or do you mean like literally moving? You love packing stuff up and unpacking it. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's like really understandable that both maybe him and importantly the kids, you know, children, children like consistency, like familiarity, comfort. We all do as humans, but children especially. And you really do want them to have the opportunity of building friends, a social network, community. I work with some individuals that have moved around a lot. And for some, it was a benefit. And for others, it was a little bit of a deficit. And they kind of feel like they missed out. They never fully were able to really build these friendships and go through some of the fun developmental stages and social events that you get to go through as a child, you know, and it was very disconnecting. So I'm glad you're thinking about that in terms of children and also just in terms of your boyfriend. Um, if he's finding that a little chaotic and dysregulating, I'm glad you're kind of zeroing in on that. Uh, his thoughts matter, right? And remember, not everything has to be literalized. Some things we symbolize. And what I mean by that is don't think that whatever desire or, or need we might have that it always has to be literally acted out. For some people, you have to ask yourself, what are the qualities of moving or traveling that I enjoy? And often it's about new experiences and new places. Great. But that doesn't mean you have to relocate and live there to have that. Because what happens is when we seek that newness and novelty, often, understandably, with anything that becomes familiar or consistent, at some point then we have to move in order to get that back. And so it's it's an endless cycle, right? But we can also have a home base that we live in where we can raise our kids and they can have some familiarity and we can do weekend travels, even daily travels where you go to a city that's a few hours away, you know, or I'm thinking in terms of here in LA, if you lived in Hollywood, you could on the weekends drive out to the beach. You are absolutely in a different place. You can on the weekends go hiking and there's really, there's ways to have a foundational center point of home, but then you go off and do stuff and that will symbolically feel like traveling and moving. Maybe you take long weekends away in the woods or in a city that's very nearby and then you come back and that, that allows the traveling to always be in play but you don't have to actually pick up and move everything in order to engage in traveling and moving. You know, you can symbolically take yourself to other places for some other cultures and experiences and maybe save money and then do more traveling out of the country. There's so many ways to do that. I, I tell that to some people who really struggle with being in a committed relationship. As I say, you can, you don't have to literalize singledom because you miss it. You can symbolically have it take days or weekends away for just yourself where you're a quote unquote single person in the world on your own traveling and encountering things and having experiences by yourself for the day over the weekend, or maybe even for a total weekend. But as far as, um, not really being sure how to communicate to him about this, you just do it by being direct. Hey, I appreciate all the reasons why we want to have Dallas be our new home base. I also realize I want travel and some newness. So I'm going to use my, some of my nights and my weekends to travel with you, sometimes maybe without you. And that's the way I'm going to build in these new experiences. And then everyone's kind of, everyone gets their needs met. So I don't think it should be that hard of a conversation, but yeah, you have to just do it directly. Often again, when the question's, how do I, it's by just doing it, you know, but I wanted to wrap our head around the psychology of it all. That is our question, and that is our show. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow night. And uh, if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. Whatever your question is, we're here for you. And tomorrow we're going to be talking about compatibility and then uh, solo sexuality and uh, how the ways that we masturbate matter and impact our partnered sex and total sexuality. So join us tomorrow. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out, and you enjoy the rest of your night.